The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Welcome to Metagamers Anonymous, a program dedicated to tabletop role-playing games and mostly related material in a presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. My name is Eric. I'm Nira. I'm Joe. I'm Alicia. And I'm the kid. And this is episode number 274, uh, because Joe looked it up for me. Yes. And uh, we're we're going to talk about some stuff. I got some oh. some shit on the pile over oh here. Oh my gosh, not stuff. Some secret announcements, maybe? Um, I do have an announcement or two. I think the secret's probably out. Wow. But uh, that's okay. It doesn't keep us from talking about them, of course. And uh, that's very exciting news. Spoiler warning. So... I I also have kind of a GMing centric topic to discuss, and I think I've got the right group. I'm terrified. What? <laughs> right. All of you have run a game or two or five or ten or twelve or twenty or eighty. Once or twice. No. no. Uh, Definitely pick, pick not eighty. Somewhere in the middle. I stopped counting long, long ago. I ran out of fingers. <laughs> and tells I saw him trying. That is if yeah. she would stop chopping off your fingers. Yeah, well. <laughs> you stop giving her. away. I actually my have secrets. a character in a game right now who's named Six Blades. It's a tabaxi rogue who, at the game, the beginning of the game was seven blades because she had seven fingers and lost one, so now she's six blades. And before anyone says it, I did not do this uh, no, to him. No, I, I absolutely <laughs> knew that that was the case. No, this is not Alicia's <laughs> game. This is a game I'm playing at the bar. Oh, see, now, even if it had been Alicia's game, she would have been quick to point out that she's not the one that did that to you because we all know you did that yeah. to you. <laughs> also true. I climbed on top of a shardle and dragon. Okay. Like you did. And all you lost was a finger? Yeah, because someone know. else blew it up. Oh, well. The finger? That happened. Well, the dragon. Oh, yeah. Well, that's fair. Again, and all you lost was a finger. Somehow. Rogue, high deck save. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, quick announcement. Uh, TsunamiCon 2022 is officially uh, happening. Yay! Booyah! We're uh, we're scheduled for October twenty first through twenty third, right there in in our uh, usual kind of time slot. I was really excited at the 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 venue I got for this because I'd been uh, talking to these guys for a while, hoping to get in on this. Uh, we're going to be holding it at the Drury Plaza uh, Hotel Broadview. If you are in the Wichita area or have been to Wichita, you've probably seen the hotel. It's right across the street from Century Two, right there downtown. It's a beautiful old hotel, and uh, they've they have an amazing convention space. Now I, we'll have to do some adjusting because they're they have like a bigger ballroom than we're used to, and we'll have a lot more space that way but they don't have some of the breakout space available that i often use to do like little events in and so we're gonna have to get kind of creative but i think it's gonna be a really cool cool space for us so uh, we have the the vig lounge all kind of picked out and it's it has the unfortunate <laughs> it, was, it was the one thing i didn't like about the whole deal and i'm sure you guys um did i tell you about that i, I think yeah, i mentioned it yeah. we saw it's, it it's nine steps, nine steps up a short flight of steps, and there's no other way to get there. So, of course, I never, it never even occurred to me when I was just booking the, booking the event and talking to him. And he happens to kind of mention it. The rep happens, happens to kind of mention it when we're on the way out of the, the hotel the other day. I mean, everything's practically inked at this point. You know, I got a proposal in hand. We've, we've negotiated. And he says, yeah, yeah, this has been really, it's really hard for us to rent out this kind of space in this part of the hotel because this is the part that hasn't been renovated. It's not ADA <laughs> accessible. Like, oh, my God, I didn't think of that shit. But, I mean, uh, the best thing we could do is make sure everybody understands because there really is not a better space for it. And the advantage of it being up those nine steps for us as as organizers is huge, ironically, because anything that's on the main floor with the convention space is subject to the hotel's rules regarding uh, catering. 
and we'd be have to use the hotel catering deals and everything. And we've always found that the VIG lounge is something we do better with if we can handle it ourselves. And this gives us that opportunity. So, yeah, it's not usually a big thing. If you if you've never done it before, what we do is for our our vigs, we have a lounge set aside that you can retreat to at any time during the convention. There's usually snacks and some beverages available. Uh, we try to keep that stocked. There's some tables there if you want to do some gaming in private with friends that are also, you know, VIGs, obviously. Um, we usually host some exclusive games and events, and that's where we set those, you know. It's also a great place just to hang out and talk with other gamers because it's not as loud. There's that's not crazy. as much going on yeah. around it. It's, it's a real nice, quiet place if you, like, need to just you know, have a moment without all those people around you. There's usually not very many people in there it's pretty you know a nice calm quiet area yeah everybody seems to enjoy it so it's something we've kept doing every year whatever kind of hoops we had to jump through to do it and uh, i'm pretty happy with it it's like i said it's there's that one wrinkle but it's something we're going to go ahead and deal with and i'm sure that i do know that there's a couple of people who are um, regular supporters of the convention that that may obviously affect and um, I haven't obviously talked to those people yet, and I don't know that they listen to the show, but I, I feel terrible about the way that um, will affect their enjoyment of the convention. But it doesn't in any way preclude them from enjoying the convention. It just removes that one option if it's something that they can't navigate, because we can't be held liable for that shit, obviously. So you have to agree to, <laughs> you know, there's a little tick mark when you buy your VIG. <laughs> we understand. Yeah, you know, I'm sure which, you guys get it. Which we still need to buy those. But, yes, we do. Oh, yep. You should. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, early, early VIGs are up for sale now. I do that every year before the convention uh, fundraising, mostly as a way to reward um, prior VIG members who like to get their tickets. I, I give them, I, if, I, if you are returning VIG, then you will have received a special discount code. You know, it's in, in all, I mean, in all likelihood. The mostly we, we just have a core community of people that come every year, support us every year at that level. And obviously the last couple of years we haven't had them because we've been online and it's not the same. I mean, we've, we've had a high level ticket, but it's not that high level, if you know what right. I mean. It's not that kind of money because the online convention was cheaper to run. So we weren't charging all kinds of crazy money. But uh, we're excited to get back to it now. And uh, I talked to Mikey Mason, and he's interested in coming down. We're going to work on that and see if it's uh, really feasible and if I've got a good space to set up for performing, which is something we're, we're working on. And uh, I, I, you know, I don't know what else to expect at this point. We're just going to kind of take it one day at a time as we get into the summer's promotional period for it. I'm hoping to have a game day soon, uh, to co which might coincide with the launch of a Kickstarter. You know, get a, get some fundraising done. And we'd asked ourselves, I was talking to Sean, you know, one of my business partners the other day, uh, if we needed the Kickstarter because we've got enough notoriety at this point that, and people are excited that we could probably fund the convention without it. But it does offer some amazing promotional value and it always reaches people that otherwise never would have heard of the event. So I'm okay with it. I think it's, I think it'll be fine. And uh, you guys have made it to the last few. The last couple live cons. I mean, we did two so. live cons and the two online plus the game fair. Online. Kid, have you mentioned? Have you have you made it to what two of the live conventions? I think yes. So same ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, and of course, Nira's been there <laughs> since the uh, whole thing started. <laughs> she had no choice. Yeah, I She's didn't have a choice. Practically a founder. I got I get one of those special staff badges, but I don't Ooh. do much for it. <laughs> Now, that's not true. The last couple, three cons, you were stuck running Artemis for yeah, a lot of true. it. Yeah, that's true. So 
I don't think we're going to have really room for that this year, though, to be honest. I don't really have room. <laughs> I see your relief over there. Aww. Were you wanting to do some gaming or something? I'm How sorry. Weird. I'm, I just love doing a video game that I only play at the conventions and I have to try to teach people. <laughs> but that was a I'm really sure, fun game. I'm sure it was, was, was really fun. I'm sure yeah, it was really it was. exciting the first year. It know. was. And then the second year, it was really like I had to take care of it after that. But, you know. We had Will help out. There was and a then, bunch of people. And, and then, were, like, the next year, we had, like, Andrew and them run mm-hmm. it for a good chunk of the con. and Yeah. Um, and you were able to get out there and run some actual games at tables and stuff. Yes, I was. So, which is cool. Yeah, you think you might. You, you, you're going to get the time off, right? One way or the other. You'll be there. I'll try to. You will fucking be there. <laughs> I'll try to. Okay. <laughs> Um, you, you you should run something. You should put some games together. People enjoy your games. I don't know why, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know fun. why either. I've yeah, never I've never done it. So yeah, what? Never. <laughs> I've played in one of yours. They're really fun. I got to be the invisible. Uh, I was about to say naked lady, but I was naked at one point. <laughs> you were <laughs> like the brothel madam. Yeah, I was the brothel. Well, the I imagine lady running the, the brothel, but I was the invisible. Also the invisible man thing requires you to get naked to really yeah. be invisible. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of cool. That was a that was a cool scenario. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so that's happening. Get online right now, sadamicon.org. You'll find all the details and links that you need. You can buy your VIG tickets now. If you're, you just keep an eye on on our social media and everything, and our website for announcements and updates. And we'll talk about it on the show, of course, when we uh, launch our fundraising and then when regular tickets go on sale. All that stuff will be happening, of course. The more tickets we can sell in advance, the better picture we have of what this convention is going to look like. And the more money we can raise ahead of time, the more we can commit to doing at the con, which is kind of fun, too. So because I, I have a bad habit of just pouring our profits right back into the convention every year, which, mm. you know, profit is a relative term. <laughs> I've never actually walked away with money in hand. So that's I figure I'm doing something right. Wrong. Right. I don't know. One of the Works two. both ways. All right. Fuck I'm going to I'm going to commit Joe and I already to things that are going to make me want to cut myself later. But <laughs> Joe's Uh-oh. eyes are great Uh-oh. over Uh-oh. there. What am I? What am I getting voluntold? I, I need you to make me some masters. Okay. And we'll talk to Eric about exactly what we want them to look like. But I'm just going to go ahead and commit us right now to make D20s custom for this year's convention for all of your VIGs. Which you you did for the for our VIG gold package, which we yes. You know, but I will um, say our dice quality has come up quite a bit because yes. now we have a pressure pot. So nice. There's that. Well, you guys did the whole thing at the Ren Fair uh, yeah. a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. Yeah. Ren Fair. That was your first kind of dry run of the was, running a booth. That was a kind of our test run because oh, completely shameless plug here. We will be selling dice at Tsunami Con. Right. So. Have, you, have you decided the the name of your, your yeah, booth? Yeah, it's Lunar come? Studios ICT. Lunar Studios. Okay, cool. So something to watch for at the con since I know you guys are yeah. going to be there. Uh, we've we've had some vendors hitting me up. You know, I'm I'm excited. I've, I've we got returning vendors and we got new ones popping out of the woodwork. Which there's some new nerd businesses in town and stuff too. That I didn't nice. really necessarily know about. I've been getting emails. Oh my gosh, new nerds! New nerds. Is there a, hopefully there's a bigger space. I know that was a little bit of an issue with the last live con. Oh yeah, well that was a that was a last ditch emergency effort convention right yeah. there. It's <laughs> like let's see if we could fit in here. Um, yeah, we actually, that was actually one of the things that hurt us last year is we had to, uh, limit the vendor space so harshly. We just didn't have enough to go around. You, you actually found the opposite of a TARDIS. It was smaller on the inside than yeah. it looked like on the yeah. outside. It was a cool setup. Other than the vendor, that was a great setup. And I liked the way we were able to put the vendors in there with the, where everybody kind of crossed through that area yeah. and, and they were, they were very engaging. I'm not going to have that opportunity again, but... We'll, we'll see what we can do. The uh, hotel in question has this huge 9,000-square-foot ballroom that uh, we'll be able to use for the gaming, of course. 
And then uh, down the west side of it is this really lovely, they call it the River Walk. It's a corridor that, that has uh, glass windows on the side that look out over the riverbank area. Oh, nice. And uh, it's really gorgeous. And we're going to use that for our vendors, for our marketplace. Nice. And I think we can kind of funnel traffic that direction so that for the most part, people walk through that to get to the gaming and stuff. We can just kind of close the doors on the other side of the hall and, and open it up all on that side. But it, so, it's going to work. 9,000 square foot ballroom. That's the equivalent of 30 by 30, which is six squares by six squares squared. I'm sorry you lost me. He's breaking it down into a grid. I was trying to picture how big mm-hmm. of a combat we could have in your ballroom. <laughs> how big would but a fireball are there, be in there? I mean, fuck yeah. <laughs> are there one foot tiles or five foot tiles so that we could take masking tape and actually mark out the grid? It depends on what system you're using, but for oh, the most part, dude. it's going to be five foot squares. I think so. the hotel people would kill us with that. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, we could Get clean it up afterwards. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll volunteer. That's a lot of tape. Volunteer like, tribute. How much, how much money would I spend I'll on I'll be the guy in the back who does uh, everyone ooh, attack. No, no, no. I got it. I got it. We do this, but you can only play in said live action D&D game if you cosplay a character or a monster. Oh. Boom, baby. Nice. Gauntlet has been thrown. We need, we need to do some more cosplay anyway. We need more cos. We need cosplay. This town has cosplayers. Yeah, mm-hmm. we just awesome cosplayers. Our first couple of years, we had some cosplay stuff going on that people enjoyed, and then it kind of petered off. And I mean, that was ironic because, like, the year that really it should have picked up because the venue was when we went to the Scottish Rite was so picturesque, and the cosplayers that did show up that year for stuff got some amazing photos. I, and and sent a bunch of them to me. I got some great promo photos I was able to use for cosplay stuff. But uh, not, I mean, it's just, it's just like the community just kind of stopped getting in, involved. I'm hoping that we can get some people out this year. So there's a call to action there. Any cosplayers out there, show up. Right. Call to action if you're listening to Metagamers Anonymous, yeah. which yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you all are. <laughs> all those cosplayers love this. How many – and how much cross-pollination is that? I mean, a lot of gamers enjoy cosplay, but yeah. there's a lot of, like, dedicated cosplayers that don't actually do this kind of gaming. So, I don't know. Or or not not dedicated. I think you'd it. be surprised because there's a whole subsection of D&D TikTok, which is just people cosplaying their original characters. Which is cool. Yeah. And not probably very many of them in Wichita, unfortunately. I don't know. <sighs> I know me. Playing your <laughs> if you're character. if you're out there, let yeah. us know at That's what's crazy. the email again. <laughs> um, I got a, feedback what? at prismatic tsunami. I'm glad she remembered. I'm, yeah. I totally Dot fucking don't know. I was gonna say asomtees.shop, but feedback I knew that wasn't at right. <laughs> prismatic tsunami con. No, Wait a minute. No, no, that's not it either. <laughs> Get we're getting warmer though. I feel like we're getting somewhere. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, you guys have to decide what you want to do for the con this year. It'll be fun. And, I mean, obviously, well, you guys, uh, that's the other thing, though. If you're running a booth, you're going to be busy. Yeah. I mean, how are you going to – you're probably – you may not get to be running a bunch of games this year. We've kind of talked about it where we're going to at least try to break off for one or two sessions I told sessions him he can each. run away. It's my booth. Yeah. I can babysit it. Yeah, but yeah. that means we lose you running games. Yeah, and I figured con. I would run – I, I would run the booth yeah. while you ran a game or two. Because my original plan was to run all my games in one day. Day, and I was going to do the Planet of the Apes style back-to-back games. Right. But that's all One was Saturday. the Escape from the Chimp exhibit. One was the Orangutan Escape. And then the last one would be like a post-apocalyptic, <laughs> very much Planet of the Apes 
style game. I'm in. <laughs> and people could pull their characters from the first two games and pull them into that one. Neat. I just like that because she was planning on doing that, like setting it here in Wichita. So just the yeah. the thought of like these apes swinging from the keeper of the planes is a great visual. Fucking good, man. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I think you should do that. Someday it's going to happen. Well, Joe'd have to watch the booth all yeah. day, though. It's rough, yeah. You know, especially if you're trying to do all that in one day, because the only day you could do all of it would be like Saturday, which is the yeah. busy day. It is. So unless um, I break it up over the three days, I would. Yeah, if you're gonna do it, I would say do it one game each day. But personally. how epic would it be to do it all in one day? Yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing you got to consider, though, is as epic as that sounds, how many um, how many of the players are you going to get that really want to give up most of their Saturday to play in that game specifically? Yeah, you know, depends how cool I can make it. Well, yeah. <laughs> I I have faith in you. I'm not saying that's that's unrealistic. I'm just saying if you if you put it all in one day, people plus you'll miss out on the other cool stuff that might be available. This is called opportunity cost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Figure it out. Um. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, unreliable narrators. That's kind of what I want to look at today. And what this is, and you're going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> These are not words that you put together in the same sentence. Um, if, if you're not familiar with the concept, what an unreliable narrator is, and, and, and Kid and I were talking about this a lot uh, just the other day. Uh, we were watching a TV show that's just kind of rife with this shit, uh, Into the Badlands. Great show. Uh, so what an unreliable narrator is, is... The information that you are given, the exposition, the story information you are given, um, you or another character in the show or, you know, game, um, comes at the expense of accuracy when it comes through a character. Because, I mean, you can, as the game master, decide to just spill exposition into the, into the world and give, you know, give players information about your situation, your game, whatever. Uh, obviously, when you really want to promote role-playing, more likely you are going to find ways to do this through the uh, game, the world itself, the setting, the characters, the NPCs, the situation as it develops, things like that. But it is an interesting, um, uh, what's the word, controversy out there, because there is this expectation kind of hard-boiled into the game, because as players, the only real information we have about the world comes from the Game Master. You know, the GM gives us everything. If you are a player at the table in a traditional RPG, typically you have a a certain amount of almost complete agency over your character, but you have zero information on your own recognizance about what they see, hear, taste, touch, and feel. Your sensory information is defined by the game master, and that's uh, that's why I always advise GMs to be very descriptive about stuff, because you can create so much more reality in a situation by applying those thought patterns to your descriptions, you know, like what do they, you know, describe something they smell, describe something they feel, you know, because Although it should yeah. be relatively rare that you are describing for your players what they taste. Mm-hmm. <laughs> only in as only as rare as it, it makes sense. You know, uh, you can say you taste salt in the air. You can say you taste um, bird shit in the air. It, it still creates an element. And the thing is, people at the table are suddenly yeah. doing it. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So when you tell them they're starting to smell burnt toast and then their character strokes out and <laughs> <laughs> you're smelling fudge where there is no fudge. It tastes faintly of almonds. <laughs> oh, you're already rolling the con save. I didn't even have to spell it out for you. <laughs> Did I tell you to make that saving throw? 
<laughs> that's a whole other controversy. I've been reading them lately. God, people get into that. Um, so, not to tangent, I guess yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, like we're not gonna. It's gonna happen. So the uh, the the idea that any information that you get consequentially in the game that comes through whatever channel from the game master is the only information you have. So the instinct is to trust it. The expectation is that that information is reliable. Right. That is not always the case, no. especially if I'm speaking from the point of view of an NPC. Yeah. Right. And that... My players will make the assumption that whatever is coming out of the NPC's mouth is inherently true. And that has bit them in the butt more times than I can count. And they're yeah. like, but you said, and I'm like, no, I did not say such and such NPC said, which was their understanding of the situation, but their information was not correct. And and sometimes their information is biased. Yep. Yeah. You know, or sometimes, sometimes there's an agenda. Secretly the bad guy. Sometimes. Oh my they're god. Too, that's yeah. I, hate I was about that. to say the most the most recent <laughs> game I ran. Happens. Most recent game I ran was a uh, Dragon Heist. Uh huh. So and I was using Jarlaxle as the main bad guy. Jarlaxle. <laughs> Half the Dude. things he said were intentionally lies to mislead the characters. So because. Good. That's fun. Yeah. And that, Cass that's, was ready to jump ship, man. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the point, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that also is what makes it uh, work. So if you are dealing with and, – and, and, and I understand – okay, to be fair, I understand the controversy because when I first looked at this this discussion that I, I came across online where they were talking about this, I was like, wait a minute. Um, th that's just role-playing. You know, I, I as the game master, I do not take responsibility for you not thinking things through in character. I, my job is not to tell you what you think. That's the one thing as a game master that, except in very rare circumstances. My mind is being do I ever, controlled. <laughs> my mind is being controlled. <laughs> Those mostly. Do I ever do? You know, you don't, as the game master, you shouldn't tell people, and it, it irks me to no end when I hear a game master do that shit. Like, you know, you wake up and you think that such and such and such and such. I'm like, what the fuck do you need to well, tell me that up. for? Yeah. Hold <laughs> on a second. Who gets to decide what I think? You give me the information. I will decide what I think. That's fair. You know, it really is. But uh, th that means consequentially that I have to rely on you to be consistent with that and to be conversant with that, to decide for your yourself what your characters take on this. And that's actually part of the problem, obviously is what we're seeing is a game master providing information uh, through, the, uh, through the, the actions of an NPC, the PC being the receptor of this, but the player receiving it themselves, not through the, uh, through the filter of their PC necessarily. And I feel like the obvious line there is that uh, an NPC can lie to your player characters, and therefore to your players, but you as the dungeon master cannot. Should not, yeah. absolutely. Because once that particular trust is breached, there's, you know, it, it's it's a completely different situation. The problem is that players don't always make that distinction. That's true. And then that's, I, I think it's important to acknowledge that. Not just to assume, because my, my instinct as a game master is to, basically kind of what Alicia just said, that's kind of on you guys. I didn't say that. That was, that was John Doe over there, the farmer, you know. What I notice is like when I'm DMing, I really like if I'm going to have a person tell them something that's completely not true or mm -hmm. wrong, I like to put like context clues before or a little bit after that kind of hints that maybe they're wrong, but sometimes players just completely miss it. But once they figure it out, they're like, oh my gosh, because that just kind of mm -hmm. helps. Keep... Why did we trust that fucking yeah. guy? Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and there's that too. I mean, not not only in terms of that they might be wrong, but they might be misleading. 
if you inherently roleplay an NPC in a way that seems like it, you could tr- question their trustworthiness. You know, and those are things that you as a game master can do that gives that context, right? You know, now there's no reason, by the same token, there's no reason that you can't have John the Farmer be absolutely deadpan convincing when he lies to people. You know, and that's part of the story right there. Yeah. That's that's right. that's a thing. The players, player characters buy it because the players buy it or because they decide the characters buy it or because they don't think about it at all. It all seems reasonable. We move on and it turns out they're fucked. By the same token, though, are your players forgetting about insight checks? Mm-hmm. I like they it when they do. They exist for <laughs> a reason. And by the same token, you know, spells like Circle of Truth are mm-hmm. completely useless if no one in the game world ever tries to lie to your PCs. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I know. have had players use Circle of Truth. De- I, deception I, I've actually is decided natural. someone was lying to them specifically because the players cast that spell, and I didn't want them to feel like they wasted it. Deception is a natural social function anyway. I mean, yeah, there's an actual true. skill in the in the D and D list for deception now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's absolutely fair. Uh, one thing about that too is uh, if you are well, uh, if, if you are treating everything like um, if if you had made an insight check, mm-hmm. you would have been able to tell. Uh, but do you expect the players to ask every time? Right? Do we expect them to say? Hey, should I make? Can I make an insight check, or to use the game master give that information to them at some point? I have an answer for this. Okay. I think it's situational, which I realize is a very gray way of answering that question. But I think if gray there's ways are the best ways to be honest. But if there's weight behind whatever the deception is, I will often kind of take a second and take stock of my party. And if there is somebody who leans heavily towards an intellectual sort of background, I will give them a check. Or if you know somebody has a really high insight score. Yes. Like if I have that information, I will say, hey, so-and-so, you're getting a weird vibe. You can you make an insight check? A passive check too, couldn't you? Yeah, it's 10 plus their insight skill. Yeah. I kind of treat passive insight the same the same way you treat uh, passive perception. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, characters who are, for example, proficient in insight, it makes sense that they're literally trained. Yeah, you know, it makes sense that they are going to, even if they're distracted or, or thinking about something else, talented or whatever. Right, right. they're going to have that little prickle in the, in the back of their neck. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I've used that like if I know they have a high passive insight, I'll be like, yeah, you're you're getting a a strange feeling. Could you roll an insight check? And then make it an active and I, check. I like that approach because uh, it gives you the freedom as a game master to insert the just the blatant role-playing approach and yet give them a way to remember that that's what it is. So uh, you can sit there and they and John the farmer can lie to your face. And then, I, you know, and I role-play out John the farmer and his horrible southern accent that doesn't belong in a D&D game and lie That's to your face. That's not true. I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is so fucking true, unfortunately. It's not true. And, uh, and, and I, I, I do that, and then I look at Nira and say, by the way, you're not sure he's being entirely on the level. And then I just go on. You know, I won't actually usually even say you should make a check or anything. I just make the comment. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and that that at that point, um, some players, some players uh, in Nero's position will then go, uh, can I make an insight check and make a die roll? Nero will usually just start treating them as if she's trying to figure out and start role playing back effectively, you know, yeah. appropriately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because some role players don't think about going to the die rolls to get those answers. That's, and also, that's fine. That's also the style of game you run. I mean, how many sessions have we played 
where there's like four die rolls the whole night. <laughs> yeah, Between the entire party. Yeah. <laughs> you get to the end of a session. Like, were we supposed to be playing a game? All we were doing was sitting around talking in character for four hours. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. There's some nights where I feel like Eric's just taking pity on Joe and I because we like our shiny click lock so much that he well, asks yeah. for a roll just so we get to roll a die. <laughs> you guys get so excited, though. And and, and you, organize, it. you organize all your dice ahead of time and, you know. They're, they're like pets or something. She goes like, through and picks like palettes of colors for hers. I only just started doing that. that. I just they do that. But mom's like, she just completely forgets that she even has dice until Eric yeah. goes, uh, roll. And she's like, oh, yeah. She doesn't use them half out the how. time. So she's like looking around for her dice and she's like, where's my dice? And I have to go digging for it. And she'll just, then ultimately she'll just hit and the button on the computer. And she'll roll her yeah. damn thing on the computer yeah, after to, I've already it gotten done. it out. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, and that exact, I mean, but there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, nothing wrong with that. And I feel like we've had great sessions oh, yeah. that are very much just story happening and, and engagement between, you know, um, PCs and NPCs and each other. Yeah. You know. I feel like the, like the inside or a lot of the deception checks are these roles are there for the fact that not everyone is acting. But when we're playing your game, a lot of times all of us are in character and you're in character. So I don't need a roll of deception. I can see how the character is acting because it's what you're doing. And I'll respond accordingly most of the time. Yeah. Now, now there is something kind of about that. As a responsible game master, I should also be paying attention to your skills. So if you're sitting there acting and being deceptive and everything, and I know that you have a minus three on your deception score... I'm going to try and react appropriately suspiciously on the part yeah. of the NBC, even though you're doing a great job at the table. But that's uh, except only in those most extreme examples is that usually even an issue because role playing is just role playing. And you don't want to break up the immersion by bringing rules into it that kind of fuck up the flow of the game and make you feel ineffectual suddenly, like you're doing something wrong by just being in character, which is not. And you know, I always, anybody wants. when I'm in character, I always try to remember what my character knows and what my character's good at. In the game Alicia's running, I'm playing a grung barbarian. And we're, we're it's a trap. We're dude. doing the Tomb of uh, Annihilation and we're in the big final <laughs> dungeon. Half of these rooms are puzzles. And there's times I'm looking at it going, I know the answer to the puzzle, but I just keep it in my head because my idiot frog person would just hit it with an axe. Eight out of ten times, that's exactly what he does. Yeah. You know, which, <laughs> but one or two of those times, you're not going to get good results from that. That's for damn sure. <laughs> no, about eight out of ten times. I, <laughs> I almost had the worst tangent. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Katara with the crown. Did you resist? You resisted. Did you resist? The temptation. The tangent. It's right there, but no. no I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Maybe later. But, but what's really fun is role-playing a character, even if you do know the answer, or maybe you don't know the answer, just being like, okay, what would my character do trying to solve this? But one time I even freaking solved a puzzle, and my character's an idiot, and I'm like, What? <laughs> Here's one of the things I love about this particular group of people. And I mean, a couple <laughs> other of my players follow into this crowd as well, of course. You guys love role playing when you're fucking wrong. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't see anybody in this room that doesn't love doing that. So, yeah. yeah. So the tangent is fun. coming. It's going to happen because it just, <laughs> she segued right into it. <laughs> I have one player who's relatively new to the game. And I put a shiny black golden crown in front of her on a pedestal in a dungeon of doom. Oh, wow. Oh, you did This didn't. entire campaign, 
everything shiny goes into her pocket as quickly as possible without anyone seeing. She's yeah. a little pack rat. Yeah. But this player has such a problem with metagaming that I have to remind her almost every session. And she's like, oh, that's really pretty, isn't it? And I'm like, it's so pretty. It's the prettiest <laughs> crown you've ever seen in your whole life. And she she's like, I really, I really want to pick it up. But something bad's going to happen to me, isn't it? And I'm like, you won't know unless you pick it up. And she picked it up. I was so she, proud of her. Bad things did happen, oh, yeah. but she made the choice. I was so proud of her. Whereas you guys would have been disappointed if bad things didn't happen. <sighs> right. right. You know, you would have looked at me like, what? What? I picked up the crown and I put it <laughs> on. You're like, all right, I you got a crown. I picked up the cursed, it up again. <laughs> the clear cursed sword that was on the ground. I literally picked it up because I wanted it to happen. What do you What do you mean it's not cursed? You're Nothing missing. I, I hold it upside down and shake it. <laughs> the best nuance of this entire scenario is that this particular character has been shaming everyone for their dumb decisions through this entire dungeon. Oh, yes. And two people. People saw her pick it up like they came around the corner. This was my cliffhanger at the end of a session. Two people come around a corner and see her lifted off of the pedestal, and then we ended the session. Yeah. To be continued. But yeah, when we came back, she tried to set it down like nothing had happened. What crown? Exactly. Oh, look, it's so shiny. I don't need one. I already got one. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that is the point, though, right? That That's the point at which the player character can't not do the thing. I gave her the opportunity not to. I was curious to see whether or not she would play her character the way she had been, and knowing very well that something bad was probably going to happen. And, and she and still did. I was you really know proud if, of her. You know, in most 9 out of 10 situ- times, if somebody said exactly what she said to you, to me. And said something's bad going to happen. I'd say yes. <laughs> yeah. And then you'll pick oh, it up knew. anyway. Like, there was, it was laced with so much sarcasm. She absolutely knew it was going to be bad. I would do things like uh, cursed items in our, our Tuesday game where they use D&D Beyond <laughs> and stuff. I keep throwing cursed items in there. Yeah. And it's even better than that because they keep going to Richard to get identified and then he hands them to the person that they best oh, fit. No. So he's so he's been the one distributing cursed the cursed items. items. It's perfect. It's great. You're gonna love it. Because what what he can't identifies put this down, because, because the party identifies, it mm-hmm. looks fine. Uh, but what's funny about that is that when I hand out a cursed item, I what I've been doing is I keep like the text for that in my adventure notes for the cursed part, and I keep that separate. So when they get the item, uh, like uh, when like in this case when Richard picks up the item. The, I put the item in his inventory, and he can see the stuff that he'll be able to get in the Identify spell. And then he hands the item to somebody, and as soon as they do whatever it is that initiates the uh, relationship between the item and the person, I then copy and paste that material in there and tell him to refresh. Sometimes I'll wait until one of them notices, but in my, in my experience, and I know that not every, um, every group has these kinds of the, this, this approach in their players. In my experience, if I've got something like that going on, the last thing I want to do is hide it from the player who's who's dealing with it, mm-hmm. yeah. because I'm going to get the best role playing out of the person that now knows they've got the cursed item, and has to regret every decision they make. Half the party, most of the party, still doesn't realize that Nero's character has been carrying around a, a ring for the last like six sessions that makes oh, her yeah. like disagree with everything, everything everybody says. It's so funny, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that's just Octavia being Octavia." I'm like, "You, I." <laughs> You fucking idiots. <laughs> so much worse than normal. No, no. Nobody no. ever notices things like yeah. that. It's like, the time the, it's like the time that Jason uh, switched his character for his twin brother. 
Yeah. And because uh, he, he, he just became he an asshole. That. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And we were like, why? He's just really why an asshole. Why is Brick acting recent? like that lately? It's like, <laughs> yeah, all the players, because again, your your relationship, your awareness, your meta awareness, the meta textual quality of the gaming experience removes those, it puts blinders on, right? It removes yeah. those factors from your consideration. You look around and you see the table, you see the factors in play, and you assume the most, the simplest, the Occam's razor solution, right? Ultimately, though, that's, I mean, that that is one of the things that the role-playing experience needs to be able to take into account. And you as a game master lose so much of the, the, the toolkit you have if your players don't learn to see it that way. Yeah. If they don't learn to engage with NPCs on the level of the NPC. Now, the reason I mentioned that TV show that we're watching is because um, <laughs> if, if, if you never watched it, it's it's on Netflix. It's called Into the Badlands. And it's this kind of post-apocalyptic, uh, very kind of feudal type of society. Um, it's pretty fucked up. Very violent show. But th- it is full of unreliable narrators. Every time you turn around and you think you're learning something about the world, other than what you see with your eyeballs on the screen, you find out that what you learned was through the perspective of somebody in the show that isn't necessarily looking at it <laughs> the way you are. <laughs> And uh, they share this information with each other and create this entire sort of lore and mythology that turns out to be bullshit every time you turn around. You know, oh, oh, that's not a thing. Oh, but then what about this other? Oh, that's not a thing either. Oh, what? You know what? I give up. (laughs) It's fantastic, though. It's a good, fantastic show. I think that's an important thing to be aware of, though. Like, if you do it too much, it almost takes away. Right, because then the assumption will be that they can't trust anything. Right. Correct. But then, but what you need to do is come down to what the experience in play is. Because as a game master, you, you want those tools. You want to be able to share information and provide lore and all these things through the aspects of your NPCs and through through elements that they come into contact with that aren't necessarily NPCs, but still provide information like books or, you know, whatever. I you, you want to be able to do that and you want to be able to do it reliably. So it isn't a matter of whether or not you abuse it. It's a whether or not you you manage to communicate to the players, hopefully through your just style of play. But there is zero reason you can't have a conversation about it. You know, you can sit down with your players. I mean, session zero is a great time for this, but obviously we don't always think about this shit when a campaign is starting, particularly with the new table. Uh, but, you, you know, you can have a conversation with the players anytime. By the way, just so you know, John the Farmer sometimes lies his ass off. And you guys have a tendency to trust stuff because I'm saying it. And while I appreciate your trust, my job is also occasionally to miss fucking lead you. I mean, that, that, yeah. this is, let's, let's be reasonable. Uh, yeah, that's part of the that's part of the play experience. So yeah, keep that in mind. I'm not I'm not saying, yeah. but I mean you want to be able to provide reliable information as well because it's the only way they learn anything about the world. Uh, tangential Typical. but related. We are don't do tangents here. Situations in which the players' characters' own senses can lie to them. Mm. Yeah, illusions and, that is and such. A yeah, completely different form of unreliable narration. But in my opinion, it's a lot of fun. That's an interesting point and, and, and can be just a consequence of the kind of uh, environment that they're roped into. Because in any given adventure scenario, your world often becomes distilled down to what you are immediately dealing with. Mm-hmm. You want to create elements of um, exposition and elaboration that give them a bigger picture because what good is world design if you don't get to share it? Yeah. But you you know that the PCs are as, as much as all that shit is you know nice and cool and they want to visit that city someday or whatever. Right now, they're stuck in a fucking maze and they have got to figure out how to, you know. 
there, there's just so much of what they deal with that is what's right in front of them at the time. Uh, I've, I've done something really kind of um, loony with my with the campaign that you guys are all in, actually, with the money that I gave, where uh, I, I did some kind of plane hopping stuff. But you notice that I didn't contextualize it that way. When you had gone to another world, you'd slipped like through a kind of like one layer of reality to another when it ended up in kind of this fey realm. Getting back turned out to be a process that you know, they talked about going through the boundary and, you know, translating into these other environments and figuring out how to navigate those and stay close to the boundary and shit like that. It was all real esoteric. I did I did a lot of not giving plain information. And I couldn't give any plainer information to you guys as players a lot of times. Because your characters needed to be trying to figure it out. Right. And if I made it too clear to you, then you would have been trying to figure out how to get your characters to figure out what you already knew instead of trying to learn it alongside them. And a lot of times you don't even learn what you're trying to learn. You just manage to do it successfully. And unfortunately, that's realistic. Yeah. I mean, that, that really does play. I think you're like right on the edge of something really sort of, I don't even know what the right word is. Annoying. Brilliant. Uh, no, no. Yes, brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. And no, 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 no. Yes. Like the two of you together. Exciting. <laughs> Stupendous. Well, you're talking about the characters not really having the information because right. it's not present. And then we're talking about your senses lying to you over here. There's something I think that can be said for that, like deliberately trying to coax the right questions out of your players, mm -hmm. utilizing that information or giving them context clues that their senses are lying to them. Yeah. Context clues. Kind, so that yes. they can... Kind of what Nira was saying about right. the NPCs in general, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. like, I've well, had... It doesn't even have to be about NPCs. You can have right. things in the environment. That doesn't that... match up, right? Right. Right. But I've, you have to kind of point those out, well, I think. And I, I didn't mean go ahead. I say like I've had a time. It was in again that dragon heist, where they were interacting with an NPC who was a little bit of a shady character, but he was a shopkeep, and instantly one of the characters thought he was a beholder. He wasn't. <laughs> but this character was convinced. That, that's something else we got to talk about here for a second. Yeah, but he was absolutely convinced, and there was and I tried to give hints without outright saying, and I tried to. Make it clear, and there was nothing was I. Was he could just do. a shopkeeper? Was he he just was. A dude? He was a shopkeeper who was a spy for the Xanathar's Guild. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Wasn't but it my character that was convinced it was Beholder? Michael. Michael was absolutely convinced that. No, he thought the stuffy in the window was a Beholder. Oh, sorry. Yeah, he thought the stuffed animal. I in thought the, the actual the person. Oh, nice. Was a Beholder. Yeah, yeah. just that Beholder in the window. Yep. So it was. It was interesting trying to figure out how to keep playing it, where because they were just like, nope, this is a Beholder. We're not doing this. There's another problem, and uh, Nira, I think, probably <laughs> – I, I think I, 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 I was so bad about this because when I played in her last campaign – see, as a game master, I tend to look, look at things very much in the aspects of a character's reality. And I was playing a character in Nira's game whose version of reality was very not realistic. Uh, Shay did, was, was really out of touch. Uh, not in an insane way or anything. She just had her own idea of the way the world worked and tended to kind of feed everything through that filter. I, you so, described it to me as her wrong answer machine. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> not, not to the extent that you've done it in the past. But because she had right answers, they were just contextual. You know, they, they only made sense from a certain point of view. Hers, to wait. Largely. And everybody just kind of went along. And that's what made it work. That's what made it so bad is that everybody else in the party just kind of went along. She had a very forceful personality. And people are used to be, as a game master, people are used to me being in a more leadership role. So, so when I sit at table with players, they often tend to kind of follow my lead anyway, whether I intend it that way or not. It's easy for me to play a leader character because of that natural sort of 
progression in, in our social order, but it sometimes is harder for me to play a not leadery character consequentially. And when I instinct, when I when I intently play a character who has bad information and bad ideas, like I kind of did with Shay. I have a hard time keeping the party from throwing itself down the gullet of whatever monster is nearest before they figure out what's happening. So the happy result of this is that nearest report game turned into the continuing misadventures of Shay and her roving band of well-intentioned morons. <laughs> it, was a, it really felt like it. And I mean, it, and I felt so bad. But every time we turned around and she presented us with another look at her world, Shay is absolutely convinced it's something that it isn't and tells everybody that's the way it is. And next thing you know, that's the way everybody thinks it is. And, and it's so funny breaking it. It's so funny breaking it because they're like, this is what it is. And I'm like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, but Nira's, Nira's good at that. She held, she held to her story construct. Now that's what I was going to talk about. There's this temptation as a game master and everybody does this occasionally when you're running a game. The players come up with something that either A, you never thought of, or B, is cooler than what you have in mind. And you suddenly find yourself wanting to do what they're suggesting. Oh, that is a beholder. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that's dangerous, obviously, because then you start kind of kowtowing to the player's expectations. So you don't want to do that too much. But sometimes that is the most powerful tool you have in your arsenal because it makes the player characters, makes the players feel brilliant. I blame you. Uh, you should, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It is one time on one fault. of these podcasts, he talks about assumptions of available materials within reason. And now, anytime one of my players says, "Is such and such item regularly available?" I'm like, "Sure," because now I want to know what they're going <laughs> right? to do. And sometimes it's really bad. <laughs> well, I guess when I said, "What's the downside?" You have an answer now. <laughs> if the object they're asking about is enriched uranium. <laughs> You should probably um, no. stick to no. what is it? What is it? What is it? Kristen Eglin used to say, "Heavy ordnance is not, not a problem." A problem. <laughs> oh, God. I, loved, I loved his game. If there's no enriched uranium, can I at least get some regular uranium and a centrifuge in a few hours? And <laughs> <laughs> no. Damn. What if I make a roll? Mm. Absolutely not. Damn. You know what? But I sure. Critted. Go ahead, make a roll. Oh, negative no. four. <laughs> Definitely not. You but know you, what? Roll with advantage. What you, you get did? This time? Negative seven. Mm, okay. But you think you did. And here's the damage you took. You now have a rock. You died. <laughs> and somehow you still managed to irradiate yourself. And there's nothing <laughs> radioactive here. Yeah. yeah I, I, so, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's important. <laughs> that, that's important to keep in mind. And I mean, I know that uh, a lot of times I talk about using the assumptions of the uh, in their interaction with the world, uh, players' interaction with the world, to, to your advantage as a game master. You have no, mm-hmm. there's no reason for you to break down assumptions unless you're trying to create something different, you know, create an alternative. If you tell people they're going into a bar, unless you tell them, by the way, the walls are made of molten oil, you're, they're going to assume a standard bar. Yeah. Use that, you know, unless you definitely want to put them in the molten oil bar, you go ahead and tell them. You go ahead and every time they do something or say something that is about interacting with the bar that they expect to be there, there's just no, there's no disadvantages going along with it. Yeah. You know, I'm going to grab a tankard. Oh, they don't use tankards here. What? Why the (laughs) fuck don't they use tankards here? Well, Turns out that all of them got, you know, busted by the molten oil walls. I don't know. It's, it's yeah, you funny just story. you tip the barkeep, and however much liquor you can hold in your mouth under the spout is how much you get. Yeah. And that's the way it works. <laughs> they just bring the barrel around they, to everybody. You pay per second under the spigot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, that's why there's the the the, the pile of drowned <laughs> hobgoblins over there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And it also explains the sign out front that said no ogres allowed. I just like the idea <laughs> that I because uh, <laughs> they because they drink a lot of beer. So we just created a new bar. It's called the Open Spigot. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I'm thinking there's just a portable now hole right in, in the a middle. Campaign near you. Patent pending. Uh, Patent pending. I'm thinking there's just a portable hole right in the middle. That's just a beer beer pool. Yeah, that's just too cool. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, unhygienic. I, uh, that's a good word. You know, alcohol. It you know, cleans things. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but once you drink enough, you don't care. Yeah, but like if it's a pool, people do some weird stuff in pools. <laughs> If by weird you mean gross, then yes. I don't want or to get if by weird you mean weird, details. still That's yes. Definitely one way to put it. Hmm. So yeah, I, I, but the unreliable narrator. That's kind of what I, I wanted to kind of touch on with you guys because I think that there's so much that a GM can do with it, and I, I, I want people to be able to look at it as a tool, not a problem. Because we did talk about the problems it causes right right off the top. And problem is relative, obviously. As a game master, we sit there and go, well, it's your, your funeral. Problem. But, you know, <laughs> opportunity. They're the same thing. But really. we want the game to be successful. As a game master, yeah. you want the game to succeed. You want the player characters to get the information they need to move forward. You you know, when they when they insist that it's a beholder, well, sometimes you just got to make it a beholder and find another shopkeeper to deal with, I guess. But more or less, you want to be able to get them to the place that they need to be for the fun, you know. Anecdotally, uh, is this We not- don't do anecdotes either. Is this not the origin of the Dread Gazebo? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's a really good example right there. Does it notice us? <laughs> Which was, I mean, the obvious joke in that is that they didn't know what a fucking gazebo was, but that is a question of definitions. I you don't know. know. I, Do you see a tooth pattern on the upper part of the gazebo? I still need to print that. There's someone who has made that as a 3D uh, model. A 3D model, a Dread, a dread Gazebo. Well, the origins of that story, they go way back in, in uh, D&D player lore now, back to the late 90s when uh, <laughs> it first went around the news groups. And Happen sitting there, Bob. sitting there going, the first time I saw that, it's like, um, it, it just hits you just like that. Every time, the first time I saw that, it's like, uh, in the clearing, there's a gazebo. Does it notice us? <laughs> and then you go back and read the word to make sure you read it right. <laughs> right. And, and the idioms, it's a gazebo. I throw a rock at it. Does it notice us now? Uh, you know, it, and you get it. At some point, you've angered the gazebo gods. Yeah. It comes to life and attacks you. Um, it, it, so as a game master, if you really needed there to be a useful gazebo, you're going to have to put one at the next farm over because obviously they killed this one or got killed, whichever way it goes. Right. More power to them. Congrats. The gazebo is now a mimic because you insisted. Uh, <laughs> I'd go gazebo of devouring. Throw them onto the astral plane. Ooh. Classy. There's no such thing as a bag of devouring. <laughs> he had a he had a dwarf. I'll stake my familiar on it. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he had a he had a he had this ability. It was like this was like three point five. It was a long time ago. Now does he still and have a familiar? No. Uh, <laughs> he had a small rock elemental, small you know, earth elemental as a familiar. He was especially type of wizard. Him, blah, blah, blah. So he's like, and they found a bag that obviously was a bag of holding, and someone someone said someone said, and mind you, these were high level characters. I don't. It, I, it, it, okay, so as a game master, because I run a game, I like to be immersive, and anything that gets too anachronistic or too meta definitely breaks immersion. Yeah. Um. Uh. One of those things is is rich from a podcast, but you know, it, <laughs> we deal because 
Rich. We love him, and we, love we have a great game together. So it's like you know, it's 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 fun. But uh, this this is a thing that that bothers me. It's like if you have, and I'm not saying that Rich is this kind of this kind of player. He just he just does it to be funny. Yeah. This there there's that old problem of players who do it because it's meta knowledge they have, and so they kind of insert the character, the knowledge that they have as players playing a game into the world that the characters are in. We've all seen this happen. Oh yeah. And then they try to make it part of the narrative with the character. So the character goes, well, what if it's a bag of devouring? Now, if they are second level characters in a world where they have never even, well, they just for the first time found a magic bag that holds more shit than it looks like it should. It's a TARDIS bag. What exactly makes you think your character would pipe up, what if it's a bag of devouring in context with the scenario? Bugs the piss out of me. But these were like 16th level characters. Yeah, so they know what a bag of <laughs> There's no a point is. at which you you get past it. Well, apparently one of them didn't because Jason decided his character not only I, – I don't know if he actually didn't believe they existed or anything. He just he just didn't believe that it was likely or, or – I mean, whatever. No, he thought that uh, he thought that they were uh, urban, urban legend. Urban legend, okay. Yeah. That makes sense, actually. That makes a lot of sense. But does it comfort your character to know that the elemental probably took a few teeth with him? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I appreciate try. the sentiment. <laughs> but the funny thing was that the way a bag of devouring, and I don't know if it does now, the way a bag of devouring worked in third edition was it functions as a bag of holding. Mm-hmm. There's a chance each time you you um, reach in to retrieve something or you put something in it that it will not be retrievable, that it, it you know, it's has gone. been swallowed. Yeah. Um, and so that was what it was. Somebody had demonstrated that it was a bag of holding a couple times, and then somebody was still insula- in, you know still insisting that it could be a... Bag of devouring, and that's when he went, no, I'll stake my familiar on it. had the told his familiar to climb in the bag. Rolled the chance. No more familiar. Just like that. And are you looking it up? Yeah, I was reading it right now. I think now there's it just... There's a strength save involved. Yeah, this there's an extra dimensional creature attached to the bag. Sense whenever it's placed inside the bag. 20. Animal or vegetable matter placed wholly in the bag is devoured and lost forever. When part of a living creature is placed in the bag, that's happened when someone reaches inside. There's a 50% chance... The creature is pulled inside the bag, so it's so, just it it just always eats. So it doesn't ever work as a bag of holding. No, not anymore. Right, and and I, that's actually pretty consistent with what we've seen with fifth edition. They've done a lot of streamlining items down to a simpler functions and making them more direct. And that's fine. I have no I have no truck with that. And I, as a game master, can always decide how I want anything to work in my game, and it doesn't matter. You know, and if I have a player who looks at me and says, that's not how Bag of Devouring works. <laughs> well, it is today. Because well, now it's I a greater so. Bag of Devouring, yeah. so fuck well, you. <laughs> not not exactly your mama's Bag of Devouring, now is it? You know, um, yeah. You know, the Bag of Devouring that devoured your mama. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big bag. Oh, sorry. <laughs> your mama's so... Damn. <laughs> uh, yeah. Your mama's well, so fat devolved. it took two bags of devouring. <sighs> that's just bad. Bad comedy. Yeah. So wait, how does that work? Did the first half get chomped off and then somebody had to put the second half? Tug of war. (laughs) Tug of war. Wait. So one bag got the hands and the other bag got the feet? You use four. You put a hand in each, a foot in each, and then you draw and quarter them. This got so to speak. (laughs) It did. Let's just slide on down from here. The bag of devouring? Rephrase, please. (laughs) New choice. (laughs) Moving on. Never mind. So uh, <laughs> I'm moving. Did I tell you guys that? Yeah, yeah. literally. Everybody yeah. knows. Uh, there's going to be some a little bit of a disruption probably in our schedule here because <laughs> not that you guys aren't used to that by now. 
because uh, my family's up and moving out of state, so we're uh, we're moving to Colorado, which is uh, fortunate enough in that it's still in driving distance. So all the convention stuff that's going on, all that um, we're still doing right here in Wichita. First question, because I didn't say it for a while, I didn't want to put it out there because I knew this was going to happen. First question I started getting as soon as I mentioned on social media that we were moving out of state was, so no more tsunami con? I, I get it. We'd had two years without a physical convention. You know, a lot of people that were involved in our regular cons weren't involved in the online stuff because it didn't appeal to them. Uh, and we've got a lot of online people that are going to you know want to try to be involved somehow but can't be here. So we're going to need to do some online stuff too. So that's that. So it's going to be a small, like a, a smaller but online Some kind of shadow year. con, yeah. I, I don't necessarily know um, I, whether I, I – I mean, it would be best if I could find somebody to kind of manage that whole thing. But the event schedule could run through the regular event scheduler like with everything else and just as a location, just like a room or a table. Uh, but I think if you're doing – I got to look at it. I think I could set up so that you could buy – because I don't want to charge people like convention price just to play online games. Right. Because they're not here. So could you add another tier of I, online ticketing? I think I can do tickets. I can do tickets by category. Like uh, I can do exclusive games for VIGs. So I don't think there's any reason I can't do, like you said, a, a kind of a uh, ticket that is cheap and specifically only has access to certain like location or room or something, so to speak. So, uh, But we'll play with that. We'll definitely do something. I, I want to make sure that people uh, get a chance to be involved if they want to be involved. And, uh, you know, I, we're, we're, we're testing the waters now. We're getting back into this. And so far, pretty exciting. I got your shirts out in the car, by the way. Oh, From sweet. last year. These are the shirts that I kept promise I was going to get you guys. You know, um, I've I been, forgot they existed. I had a handful left that I never got delivered to people because mostly because I was ex- anticipating giving stuff out at game day and most of them were local. And we never had the game days. I had kept having to cancel shit. So... Uh, so they've been kind of collecting and now that we are moving, I am doing some house cleaning, literally, of course, and we are getting, uh, you know, getting those to people. And I mean, I've got most of them delivered in the last few days that I had left. And you guys, of course, were on my list and should have had them a long time ago because I see you almost every goddamn week. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just whatever. Right. Uh, Miss Jonica's already gone. She's, uh, she's already moved up there and, uh. If you order tea from us right now, I do have all the stuff to fulfill orders uh, another week or so. Of course, I mean, it, it depends on when you're listening to this, but uh, there will be some some disruption in there. Uh, Nira's getting her own place here in town. She's staying in Wichita. Wah, wah. Yeah, so okay, she's got an apartment. With the cats. Yep, she's keeping the cats because we can't take them with us. And It's a new adventure, so uh, we're excited about it. We're sad to be leaving you know, Wichita because we got so many friends and, and fans, and it's such a great gaming community here. But, of course, we'll all still be gaming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we started this because it was pandemic. We yeah. started this game online. So you went online to in-person, back to online. Back to online. It's kind of, well, sad. But, you know, the same token, it's a good game and it'll survive it. Yeah. So I think all, all of our current games will. What's up? I have a question. Sure. Would this count as an exotic form of unreliable narration where an event changes the past so that it no longer matches up with the memories the players' characters have of it? Oh, cognitive dissonance about your reality? I'm thinking. Just distant and dissonance about your reality i'm thinking that that would yeah no one's ever done that to a character that i'm playing in a game ever that's never once happened as i stare at him right now you're not you're not yeah you weren't pointing (laughs) fingers or anything i am no no. i wasn't even looking is now (laughs) i because i've never run games where i change the reality around on the players you rat bastard that's not something i've been doing for the last 25 years so that that but, would fall under the umbrella of yes i think so <laughs> the the trick is again to provide some kind of context clue that there's something because it wouldn't be and that's the thing okay <laughs> because 
creating uncertainty and creating deception actually serves no narrative purpose in and of the, itself. If the PCs have no chance to determine what that reality is. Right. I mean, and it doesn't necessarily mean they have to understand. Just know that there's something different. Most of the time, since you're doing with with players, most of the time you're going to have something that is literally dissonant with the reality that they as players know because you're pulling something out from under them. But if you're talking about presenting elements of a world that they as players haven't explored yet, right. and then the context becomes, because they make a great campaign idea, um, <laughs> this isn't the way it always was. And there's clues to that, but the players don't have any experience that teaches them otherwise. That is a whole new level of cool shit right there. But it would be an unreliable narrator. I now think. I'm just thinking of the uh, Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors where Homer keeps going into the past and changing things. And every time he comes forward, the world is different. Love it. And, and there's also play. the fact that if you have an idea, like if you – a lot of D&D players, like they know how things, how are. things are. Right. right. Like if the, you see there a are specific types are there. Right. type of creature or a specific type of – you know, race. I mean, in describe, the game. Don't use the word, but describe a troll to your players and see how many of your characters whip out fire or acid. Right. right? So uh, a good another way would be, you know, like to break those kind of ideas because the instant you say the word or the instant you describe it, their mind's going to go straight to where you know their minds are going to go, and then you just completely go left field, and yeah. it just completely changes everything. It can. Um, that could be kind of themselves being their own unreliable narrator. That's that's an interesting way of looking at it. I, yeah. I did something just really just I had one player who was metagaming quite a bit. Cause he, and it wasn't intentional. It was just someone who. Habitual. Yeah. Habitual. Knew every. Who's read all the books. Knows the monsters. Been playing D&D forever. So randomly they came across a group of high elves who were sleeping. <laughs> and that yeah. was it. They were just. These were elves that actually went to sleep. Fucking good, man. Didn't you say it like broke their brain? They were like, but they don't sleep. Yeah. I'm like, like these, these ones, ones do. do. <laughs> but elves don't sleep. They meditate. Yeah, well, they don't, they don't, they, they, but they don't sleep. Well, I mean, you could wake them up and tell them that if you yeah. like. I'm like. I don't know what you want me to do about <laughs> I don't it. Know, I don't know about meditating. These because, ones are laying down snoring. Because when they initially say that, they think you as a game master are just screwing up. <laughs> yeah, you obviously don't realize this. Elves don't sleep ever. Yeah. They can't sleep. Um, and you're, you're saying, well, to like, them, dude. Nobody told them. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, once these elves woke up, they would, that was just, that was just, they were coming across them like they would have been in their meditative sense. So I just had them asleep because it was fun. In, Not going to lie, my early game master days, there were one or two times where I screwed up and one of my players assumed the opposite. They're like, you changed this to make it cooler, didn't you? I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes I did. Hold on. I did not I screw up exactly at all. what I did, and I don't Thanks, know what Jake. I did right. I mean, wrong. I mean, right. But I'm. that's exactly mm -hmm. what I intended. Mm -hmm. In deference to your troll comment, by the way, kid, um, I love the fact that in situations where that has come up recently in my games, my players are the type who look at that and immediately ask themselves whether there's any reason their characters would have any knowledge of that. Mm -hmm. And half the time, at least, it's nope. Yeah. And so the fire and the acid don't come out, even though the players all know exactly what's going to happen. Because my character has yes. no idea. Yes, we have done that. <laughs> yeah. It's good stuff. 
when your players look at you and go, okay, I have to ask this out of game question. Has my character ever seen a troll before? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. You know, that's, 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 and that's, yeah, that's, that's how it plays out. It. Yeah. Would I know that? Well, I mean, I can say no as a game master. I can say, nope, you never heard of it. Um, I can but say, uh, make a check. Some yeah. players are the type who mm-hmm. will just automatically assume the answer to the negative because what DM is going to argue with you and say, no, your character should totally have known that fire would, no. You're making his job I easier. Totally, of course he's going to go along with it. I totally forgot to tell you that you all took troll killing classes oh, in, yeah. in primary oh. school. I mean, that's your At standard. Adventuring pre-K? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. good. I remember that class. That was a good one. <laughs> um, here's the other thing you run into sometimes is you'll find conflicting information, not usually in official sources. But there's a lot of people that have their own ideas about the way things work. And there's a lot of people that release um, – books for uh, games that have different ideas of the way things work. A lot of times these aren't important things. I ran into one recently. Um, if you read the description of an owlbear, uh, they talk about the fact that they specifically feed on rotting meat. Right. Okay. Uh, not a big deal. Whatever. I bought this really great third-party supplement that was all about training monsters and stuff and how to how to make them, you know, party companions and stuff, what would be involved. It's, it had a cool system for it. I like finding stuff that has cool systems that I can then don't have to come with myself, you know. You can yoink. I can, yeah. I can look at and, and use that material. And you get to the owlbears, and they just assume that owlbears are predators, you know, just like a bear right. or whatever. And, or, or, an or an owl. Right, you know. And I'm like, so this contextually doesn't change much, obviously, but we just so happen to have one game in which the characters have an owlbear cub with them. Like you do. And they <laughs> started having to carry around oilcloth sacks full of rotting meat to make sure and feed the mm, thing. That's going to make your stealth checks to that pack of wolves real tough. What, what's even better? <laughs> and this makes me smile. Uh, by pure happenstance, I'm sure. I don't think it was deliberate. But all of the rotting meat that they are using for their owlbear is dead orc. So... <laughs> They are inadvertently training <laughs> their baby owlbear <laughs> to predate solely on orcs. Nice. And as an orc-hating dwarf, I happen to be 110% behind that plan. Look. Okay, look. <laughs> Racist. It's just, it's meat. We found it. And the person who collects it does not give a fuck. <laughs> um. Bit of news that came out this last this last couple of days that is uh, climbing around the internet, and it'll be old news by the time anybody hears this. But D and D Beyond, which is owned by Fandom, um, is no longer owned by is, Fandom. Is they're, they're s- uh, selling the product to Wizards of the Coast? Hasbro is buying it for like a hundred and forty some odd freaking million dollars. Uh, so there's a whole lot of discussion about this online, <laughs> and all of it is predictable. All of it is predictable. You get a handful of people who are defending this as, oh, you know what? Putting this all under one roof is going to just improve the product, which there's potential for that. possibly. We know that. Uh, There's a lot of people, much larger than a handful of people in my estimation, who are insisting that this is just going to ruin the fucking program. That WotC's priorities are not necessarily in line with what fandom was doing and... Uh, they're, they, they don't have a good history of running digital tools. Right. Now, I will submit that this is because, or I will posit that this is largely because every digital tool that they've done significantly has been handled by a third-party house. They don't, they don't, do, they don't, they don't have a, a digital creation studio in-house for software. And so 
in most of the cases this has failed, probably hasn't been them that really failed it. And hopefully this is already starting as a good product. So hopefully. Right. And I think they they're the bringing bones there to keep. keep I think it part up. of what they're buying is the departments. They're buying the people too. I mean, not literally, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, so a lot of those programmers and stuff that are, are coming with it or have the potential to come with it. So I think that's great. What's really interesting to me is the biggest debate it sets up <laughs> is this question of. What is the thing that everybody hates about these digital platforms? The fact that I already have all the physical books on the shelf. Why should I have to pay the money to yep. buy another copy? I was already of the thinking book? that right when you said this because I hadn't seen this news. So you know, people ask it remediately. It's like, so does this mean that we're finally going to get you know like discount codes or like you buy this, you get a free copy of the digital one and all this stuff? And there's zero reason to think that that's the case. Right. Because, for one, you don't buy a product like this planning to castrate your profitability. Yeah. But secondly, and I mean, this to me, this demonstrates a lot of what people don't understand about it. Those are not PDF copies you're getting access to on D&D Beyond or even on like Roll20 and places like that. These are coded into their platform. You're not just buying the... I mean, you can buy the compendiums and it's just information. Usually that's a little cheaper. But you're, that's not just what you're buying. What you're buying is the license to that information all encoded into their software package. And if you think that a $6 a month subscription is going to be sufficient for them to think they don't need to sell that shit anymore, you're smoking something. <laughs> but uh, I found it interesting because there is a lot of uh, popular practice that's been around now since the PDF market became a huge thing. Because, um, and I think this originally developed because it so threatened the brick and mortar stores, and then it so threatened the hardcover books and stuff, you know, the physical <clears throat> product, because the production costs are so much higher to make a physical product, especially now, as rarity became more of a thing, you know, production values, I mean, pr production costs rather went up, you know, because now there's not as much to be made. So those people that make them can charge more to do it, supply, demand. Uh, now the, the uh, you know, demand is outstripped the supply. So uh, there's been practices for a long time of some companies that if you buy the physical copy, you get the PDF for free. Yeah. Or sometimes you get a, a steep discount or something. Uh, some of the people that do that, I think I think Paizo does that. Like if you buy Pathfinder stuff, you can buy the physical book and they give you the PDF for free. Yeah, I think if there's you buy like a them. code in the back of yeah, the book. Yeah, I think so. And there's no reason you can't package stuff with unique codes. I mean, we see that in software and everything. So, I mean, that's that's fair. Uh, obviously, there's some question about piracy with that because if people can get access to the inside cover of the book and look it up, they can scan it, get that free copy. And then when you buy the book off the shelf, you don't get it because somebody else already did. But, I mean, I'm sure they're taking incidents of that into account when they're developing this process, right? However, is it going about it? thing is with piracy already, all the PDFs are online. So if you want a PDF of any of the books, there's a way. you're just going to go. You're not going to go to the store and steal a code. It's a lot easier just to go onto the website and download it. And. I mean, there's also, I mean, I've bought, well, to be fair, I've, for example, I own a copy of almost 100% of the D&D hardbacks for 5th edition. I, I've made it, I've made a point of that. Yeah. As a fan and as a, someone who wants to support the product, support the company, I bought books that I don't ever have intention of actually using much of at all. And because we use D&D Beyond as a platform, I have purchased a lot of material on D&D Beyond. It's not the same. I don't feel it's the same. But it is useful in both formats, yeah. and I'm willing to pay. Now, I understand why people feel like they should get some sort of recompense because I think that's a standard that's been set by so many companies. And I applaud those companies that have done that. Those companies are not Hasbro. Right. You know, those companies are not Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast does not publish PDF products for their books. You can't not buy from Wizards, not on DMs Guild or anywhere, 
a copy of the, of the fifth edition player's handbook. They don't sell it. They don't produce it. <laughs> you, know, you know, if you find one out there pirated, somebody oh, yeah. scanned it. Yeah, they're <laughs> you all know? scans. So, I mean, there's something to be said for the fact that they're protecting their product for what it is, and you're not, you know, they're not replicating that for you. They're not doing that. So I'm not sure what the future of that is, and I'm not sure what's going to happen with this, but I think it's going to be interesting to watch and see what they do with the software. And, and there may be some of that. There may be some discounts and stuff that happen because of purchasing products. I think that would be interesting. But I'm not sure if it's practical because I don't think most people are going to think in terms of I need both. Right. I honestly have gotten to the point where the only reason I'm buying the books is, is like I said, to support it and because they look so nice on my shelf. I don't have this powerful need to use them anymore. I, you know, we don't use the hard. In fact, you guys pull out those books at the table more than I. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just used to the book. I like the player's handbook. I've been through it so many times that I can almost just without looking, open it up and right to I'm the page. on the page of the weapons. And and that's fair. I mean, and we've been, you know, those of us who've been playing D&D since the days of yore, we've, that's all we ever had for most of our life in the, in the game. And that's, that was exactly the experience that I had. The first edition books, I used to know exactly where to find in the main core three books. Yeah. Anything I needed to in the book, almost within a few pages just by opening it up. Sometimes the pages are just kind of really well-worn. But, you know, they got used a lot. Yeah. I never minded my books getting used my a lot. I was like, I made them feel used. is like that in my team. Yeah. It's just kind of, <laughs> if you drop the book, it just kind of opens it to it. Yes. Yes, <laughs> it But does. at the same time, the digital stuff is handy because, like, even earlier in this podcast, there was a question on Bag of Devouring. I have my phone. I was able to look it look up. Look it up. Yep. I like the books for the pictures. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah. The art is there online. They do make an effort to do that, but it isn't as accessible. Yeah, it's not as you, accessible. you got to go actually scrolling through shit and looking. You can't just kind of like you flip through some pages. Have you found the guest on in the PHB? Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> no, okay. No one, just just no make sure everybody has seen that. That's great. It's uh, amazing. Do you know? Do you know what we're talking about on that? I gotta find that meme. Do you know that? Yeah. It's amazing. It's it's the the no one no one something like Gaston. No one no one hangs out on page something or other like Gaston is. Yeah, good it's shit. great. It, yeah. And literally, the adventurer on that page looks like Gaston. Yeah, <laughs> ripping muscles, red shirt, the I whole nine. I think he's I know looking what, for it. I know exactly I what monster it is too. Mm-hmm. Is it a monster? Or was a spell? Is a monster? Oh, it's what a monster. monster. It's in the. It's in the, I think it's in the PHB, isn't no it? No one hits like Gaston. No one crits like Gaston. No one's on page two hundred and six like Gaston. So everyone out he's, there with the books can look up page two hundred six. Yeah, he's, 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 got a monster, he's got a monster with him. Mm-hmm. Wow. Gaston made a cameo. It does look like it looks like a stone in the beast, no less. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what monster is it? It's a werewolf. It was a yeah, werewolf. It's a werewolf. Nice. <laughs> Awesome. There's no way that wasn't on purpose. No, you're right. 100% on purpose. <laughs> Looking like this is actually, I think, the uh, in the monster manual, because over on the side, it's talking about werebears and that kind of stuff. Oh, is it the monster manual? Still, I, so so funny. Uh, I, that's, I think, everything I had, guys. I yeah. appreciate you. I was. Um, this is my last week in the studio with you guys for the foreseeable, you know, immediate future. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make sure and, and get kind of a special show together, especially since this this week was still tax stuff, and you know, our, <laughs> Vanessa and Richard, the regular cast, are obviously working a lot of hours right now. Wait a minute. What if that's unreliable narration? <gasps> Ooh. Oh my gosh, what if they aren't? What if they're lying? What if they're having crazy parties and that's why? There must be cheesecake. There's no other reason that's to lie. That's they, why they're, they're so tired all the time. It's my because they've had an insane <laughs> cheesecake crazy parties. party and they've been drinking so much. They get home and they're like, oh, I'm so tired. 
Oh my gosh. You know what you're going to be really grateful for? That this episode doesn't drop before you game with them tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why? Just saying. I'm telling them right now. There's always a game <laughs> after this drops, though. It could, it could, right. yeah, but if they're imagining they're having a crazy party, that would be great. Uh, fair. Okay. Hmm. Check out uh, TsunamiCon, all the TsunamiCon stuff. And we don't have, of course, uh, we don't have a definitive uh, plan on, on the fundraising yet. But we'll be looking there for that in the next few weeks. Uh, we'll, we'll work on launching that. i got to get a bunch of information together. It's, it's, it's worth it to run a Kickstarter for the promotional value, but it's a lot. It's a huge time sink. So i, I got to kind of plan ahead as much as I can. But uh, we'll be doing that, we'll, and tickets will go on sale. And, uh, of course, the uh, game event registration will open up this summer, and we'll get to start listing events. And Yay! I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the whole thing come together, yeah. especially from afar, <laughs> atop <laughs> a mountain. Clear over there to the west. Wait, wait, we're in Kansas. It. What are mountains? Looking down um, through the clouds. Very, very large hills. Oh, like the one over at Sedgwick County Park. Yes, exactly. Like no, that. no. Dude. That is not a thousand feet I, tall. I, I, I will fight you. We live, um, <laughs> we're moving to Alamosa and it is uh, like high desert scrub and stuff, but it is surrounded by mountains. It's in the San Luis Valley. And it's surrounded by mountains. Anywhere you drive in town, everywhere you're facing, you're looking at mountains. Appalachia. It's fucking gold. <laughs> fucking gold. I love it. So what I heard is that we'll be visiting them for snowboarding. Absolutely. Right. Okay. <laughs> Bring your own snowboard. I want to watch you snowboarding. I do. I snowboard. I want to watch you snowboard. That's okay. Because awesome. I, I can't imagine I don't get the opportunity in that, Kansas so. much. Why? No. Uh, I think you're too tall to use my snowboard. The one time she was able to use her snowboard here in Trust Kansas. Trust me, I wasn't going to try. No. <laughs> it's, it's not that Kansas doesn't get enough snow. It's that it doesn't have enough slope. We <laughs> don't think I haven't Cedric considered Park, walking right? my board to the top of that sad little hill at Cedric County Park just to ride it down a couple times. <laughs> oh, Didn't we drag you. you around with the back on the back of the Jeep the one time? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> can neither confirm nor deny this allegation that was the first year we moved here thank you for listening to episode number 274 of metagamers anonymous thank you guys i very very much appreciate you being here my name is eric everybody have a fantastic week Ta-da. what it's you <laughs> oh do you, do you know who you are <laughs> No, that's we're, Nira. We're doing the we're doing the closing salutation. <laughs> I don't know who I am. I'm sorry. Nira, Nira's already left the building, <laughs> and I was gone. Just going to comment on how nice it was to be here and conscious for an entire episode for once. Were you? That's neat. But we're yeah. I was going to ask the same thing. But we're, <laughs> yes. we weren't sure about the first like ten minutes. Oh yeah, I I was still conscious. I was neat just conserving my batteries. Let me try this again. <coughs> My name is Eric. I'm Nira. I'm Joe. I'm Alicia. And I'm the kid. Well done, sir. Well done. The unconscious one. Yeah, not today. Apparently. Battery conservator. Batteries not included. <laughs> Remember hey, to plug him in this time. Let's Whoa. stop talking about the we're doing back there. I'm getting Whoa. a little uncomfortable here. I'm so sorry. I we should have asked for consent. Cord. May I have your consent to discuss your batteries? <laughs> Would you like some tea? <laughs> that is mm. definitely protected by uh, um, uh, HIPAA. Yeah, that's it. It's protected by HIPAA. Can I leave this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> the rest of us already did. <laughs> Unreliable narration. <laughs>